You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, help us now to recognize the only true source of satisfaction for all our longings, your word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Amen. I realize it's cliche at this point to complain about, well, not really complain, but um, to speak disparagingly about any Christmas song. Um, we're, st- we're actually finally in Christmas season, you know. Uh, we celebrate the 12 days of Christmas around here. That's why this service, this time of year is always a bit strange because you've been hearing it for so long, but now we're in the season finally. But uh, that's not what I want to say. I want to talk to you about the song White Christmas by Bing Crosby, which I was fascinated to learn is the absolute number one best-selling single of all time. Did you know that? If you uh, look this up, it's been uh, it sold about 50 million physical copies. Um, it's been in the Guinness Book of World Records for as long as that book has been published in that category. White Christmas has taken the cake. And this fascinates me because there must be something about this song that speaks to people. And the lyrics are actually quite simple. They're not too many. Uh, and they capture themes that are popular in a lot of holiday, winter, you know, s- sort of popular Christmas songs. And this is it. This is, this is the full content of the lyrics of the song. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know, where the treetops glisten and children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas with every Christmas card I write. May your days be merry and bright, and may all your Christmases be white. That's it. I mean, that's the full content of the number one best-selling single of all time. 50 million copies. Well, what's it saying? What's really going on here? What's the sort of, what's the content behind the, the lyrics, as it were? What's it really saying? It says that we long for some sort of experience or place that's, Uh, celebratory in nature and a little bit sentimental. It's nostalgic. It's hearkening back to a sort of golden age, a simpler time of rituals and traditions. And there's a a desire to be with someone or people that we love, a desire for home as not a physical place, but a concept where uh, we are with the people that we love that conveys a sort of a, a sense of warmth. You know, think of fires. Uh, in the middle of winter. When it's cold outside, you know, it might be pretty, but it's, you know, a place where you will die of hypothermia. In here, there's warmth, not just from the fire, but from the people that you love. And so, in a sense, it's a a longing for a a place of security, Um, and it's relational in, in nature. And so it's ultimately this song, I'm, I'm saying, I'm analyzing for you in a lot of popular songs, it's ultimately communicating a, a longing for relational security. And as I said, home is not just a, a place necessarily, it's, it's about people. This is a sentiment that's better captured actually in the other popular holiday song, There's No Place Like Home, for the holidays. Well, what's that talking about? Whether you live in Pennsylvania or going to Pennsylvania or going to Tennessee, you know, where the people are that you love, that's where you want to be this time of year when it's really cold and dangerous outside. At least not here, but in other parts of the world, it can be. Uh, so like most Christmas music, many of these songs highlight our longing for security, a relational security that's captured by, you know, home sweet home. 
Um, and John's gospel, the fourth gospel of the New Testament, John's gospel addresses this universal human longing for relational security. We see this throughout the entire gospel, but uh, here it's highlighted as a major theme in John's famous prologue in chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, which is our reading today. And the prologue seems to be a bit out of uh, place compared to the rest of the book. Uh, But you have to understand what John is doing and the way that he's telling the story of Jesus. He's backing up like almost as if outside of the universe. I mean, this is like Star Wars with the, uh, the scroll, you know, in the beginning, and then all of a sudden you're on Tatooine, you know? Um, John is backing up to tell you what's going outside of the universe, and all of a sudden John the Baptist, you know? It's the same sort of thing. Uh, that's what he's doing in his gospel, is trying to tell you, you know, what's going on from a telescopic point of view, from a God's eye point of view, Uh, of why Jesus came and who he was and uh, what he's doing, and that, uh, um, that humanity is in need of redemption from their creator, that we're meant for relationship with God, our creator, but we've uh, messed that relationship up woefully, and we prefer, as he says, darkness to light, which is code for choosing bad over good. We prefer badness, things that are not good for us, over the, thing that, the things that God made and meant for us. Uh, and um, ultimately, that includes uh, being in right relationship with him himself. Here's what else John says. Instead of uh, leaving his creatures to their own devices, God the Creator has come to do something about it. He hasn't just left us in this state to give us and to offer us Uh, the relationship with him that we were meant to have as his children. And he did this by sending a a very part of himself, a part of his essence, his word, the same word that was spoken in Genesis chapter 1 to create. You know, the, the same word that first created the light when there was nothing but darkness. This word was sent into the world to become a part of humanity to redeem it. And when his word did this, his name became Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. And the problem, though, as John tells us, is that God's people, his creatures, for the most part, didn't know him when he did this. When the creator of the universe came and became a man and dwelt among us, even his own chosen people from the tribe of Israel did not recognize, or as he says, they did not receive him. In other words, most of the people did not believe in him, but rejected him. And in so doing, they've rejected the relationship that they were created for. And yet, the offer still remains on the table. The same offer that's articulated in, here in chapter 1 in verses 12 through 13, when John says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Well, the tragedy here is that so many people who who long for the sort of relational security that's behind these Christmas songs like a white 
uh, Christmas, or there's no place like home for the holidays, that the, the very people who long for this sort of relational security continue to reject the one they were made to be in relationship with, ultimately, most importantly, the one who loved humanity so much that he himself became a human, so that ultimately he might redeem us for himself, for relationship with him. Uh, even so, uh, um, some very secular people in our world recognize this sort of deep relational longing. Even people who don't understand what I'm talking about here still also understand deep down this longing. And that's why these songs are so popular. They're, they're striking that chord. But they're looking in all the wrong places to find satisfaction for this longing. Sometimes it's close, but it's a sort of distortion. There's a, a, a fairly young, popular philosopher right now named, I think you pronounce it, Alain de Botton. I've always just read it. Maybe you've heard of him. He gave a, a, a famous TED Talk. You know what TED Talks are? They're basically secular sermons, right? I mean, that's basically what they are. And that's why people are, are listening to them. He gave this uh, TED Talk called Atheism 2.0. Um, and he is, what he's saying is, you know, the, the atheists of the last 10, 15 years have been kind of angry, and I don't entirely agree with them. But I'm an atheist, and I think there's a, a, a better way that we can go. And so he calls it Atheism 2.0. And he's hitting on um, the, the longings and trying to address them in his talk. At the very beginning of his talk, this is what he says. What I'd like to inaugurate today is a new way of being an atheist. If you like, a new version of atheism we could call Atheism 2.0. Now, what is Atheism 2.0? Well, it starts from a very basic premise. Of course there's no God. Of course there are no deities or supernatural spirits or angels, etc. But let's, now let's move on. That's not the end of the story. That's the very, very beginning. I'm interested in the kind of constituency that thinks something along these lines, that thinks, I can't believe in any of the stuff. I can't believe in the doctrines. I don't think these doctrines are right. But a very, but, and a very important but, he says, I love Christmas carols. I really like the art of Mantegna. I really like looking at old churches. I really like turning the pages of the Old Testament, whatever it may be. You know the kind of thing I'm talking about. People who are attracted to the ritualistic side, the moralistic side, the communal side of religion, but can't bear the doctrine. Until now, these people have faced a rather unpleasant choice. It's almost as though either you accept the doctrine and then you can't have all the nice stuff, or you reject the doctrine and you're living in some kind of spiritual wasteland under the guidance of CNN and Walmart. I thought that was funny. Um, I mean, that's the thing about him. You know, I, I can listen to him. I, 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 I can and, and sort of resonate with some of what he's saying. But I digress. This is finally, this is what he says. This is sort of the introduction of his talk. So that's a sort of tough choice, he says. I don't think we have to make that choice. I think there is an alternative. I think there are ways, and I'm being both very respectful and completely impious, of stealing from religions. If you don't believe in a religion, there's nothing wrong with picking and mixing, with taking out the best sides of religion. And for me, Atheism 2.0 is about, is about both. 
as I say, a respectful and impious way of going through religions and saying, hmm, what here could we use? The secular world is full of holes. We have secularized badly, I would argue. And a thorough study of religion could give us all sorts of insights into areas of life that are not going too well. Well, the reason someone like Debatin is so popular is that he's tapping into that same longing that I'm talking about. The problem is he finds the solution in the wrong place. Here it's in the trappings of religion, not in the content, not the object of its affection. As he says, you know, the kind of thing I'm talking about, people who are attracted to the ritualistic side, the moralistic, the communal side of religion, but can't bear the doctrine. People who like Christmas carols, but don't believe in the, the, the subject matter of the carols. Well, the, the doctrine is ultimately about who God is and who we are in relation to him. As John explains, God is our creator. We've preferred to reject him, yet God has offered us redemption and relationship with him anyway. And he did this by coming, becoming one of us to die for us. Do you remember the uh, popular song in 1999 by the Bloodhound Gang called The Bad Touch? It was really vulgar. Don't watch the music video. And I won't say the whole line, but do you remember the line where they say, you and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals? You and me, it's a sort of nihilistic song. Uh, you and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals, fill in the blank. But John in his prologue says we're more than just mammals. We're more than just mammals. God did not become a monkey or a dog or a raccoon to redeem the world. Rather, he said humanity is the highlight of his creation and love. And we were meant to live rightly with him and each other for eternity. I told someone once recently and I got really emotional when I was talking about this, that when I imagine heaven, I, I do get excited about the idea of being in the presence of God and being in right relationship with Him. But you know what I can't wait for? I can't wait to be in relationship with other people and it not be full of uh, dysfunction and anger and anxiety. <laughs> you know, all the, the things that I, I, I suffer with, and, and you do too, on a daily basis. I mean, it makes me weep just thinking about the possibilities of, of being in relationship with God in the way that I was meant to be, and also, therefore, being reconciled uh, to my neighbors. That is the true home that I dream of that I most long for. Well, what about you? What are the greatest longings, truly, that you have deep down? What are the things that you want most in life? What things are leaving you restless that maybe keep you up at night on occasion or distract you from the things that you need to be doing? What did you expect of this Christmas and maybe didn't get out of it? How are things not going your way, either lately or, or ever. I want you to know that behind all these desires is a longing for security. And ultimately, there's a, a relational nature attached to them, even if you don't see it at first. 
At the end of John's gospel, in chapter 20, John explains, finally, the purpose of his book. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The only source of satisfying your longings is spelled out right here in John's Gospel. You must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. As he said in the prologue, you must believe in his name, which is to say that he is actually who he said he was and came to do what he said he would do. When this happens, you're given the right to become truly a child of God, that is to be who you were always meant to be, and to spend eternity with your, your brothers and sisters in his name, to be at home with him and with them. John's gospel is a seemingly complex gospel of the four You know, it seems spiritual and philosophical and complicated for a lot of people at first first blush, but it actually has a very simple message. Through the story of Jesus' life, John is basically giving you a confrontation. He's saying he's forcing his readers to choose either belief or disbelief, to either believe this or not. If you disbelieve that Jesus is the word of God who became flesh to redeem you, you will continue to feel a sense of sadness and loneliness deep down. Even if you follow Alan de Botton, who says you can have religion without the doctrine, or even if you follow the messaging of this world that tells you to find all your satisfaction in products, your desires, which are inherently relational, will perpetually be unmet. Now, if you believe that Jesus has made God the creator known and offers you home in his household, I'm not promising that the exact opposite will happen. You might still have these sensations of unmet desires in this life, but you will have a hope to come back to constantly that your greatest relational need has been secured in Jesus Christ. The the world of darkness says that in order to feel satisfied, you need to do this, you need to have that, you need to be this kind of person, fill in the blank. But the gospel, the good news, says believe in Jesus Christ and everything has been taken care of for you. Perhaps a more solid uh, Christmas song than uh, White Christmas is O Little Town of Bethlehem, which says this, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Two thousand years ago, approximately, The answer to all your hopes and fears was born in the little town of Bethlehem. Believe, do not disbelieve in this truth, that your security lies right there in the manger. Amen. 
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.